This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. Hey guys, on this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast, it is Christmas Eve, December 24th. Merry Christmas everybody. Hope everybody has a great holiday season and enjoys your time off of work and with your family. But most importantly, it's the rut. And it's the rut in some really hot places. A lot of places like Tinsaw Parish, Area 2, Northeast Louisiana are on fire right now. And if you're able to get out in the woods, we highly suggest it. This week's episode is all about the rut with Warren Womack. So we haven't talked to Warren about this current season at all yet. So this is an update on his season and also some rut tactics for him. So it's going to be a good episode for us. Before we get started, we need to give a big shout out to our sponsors, Steve German's Taxidermy Art in Westlake, Louisiana, and Cousin Smokehouse. Steve Germans is the only taxidermist that's made it easier for you to bring your deer back into the state by having a separate drop-off point in Vider, Texas at Ty's Taxidermy. So if you're headed east on I-10 coming back into Louisiana, you don't have to cape out your skull, drop it off at Ty's. They take care of everything else. And Cousin Smokehouse has two flavors out right now, traditional and cane fire, both excellent flavors. Both of them should be in your hunting bag this season. So be sure to pick up a bag while you're out in the store. Let's get on to this week's episode. You know, it's the it's the dead middle of December right now. It's about a week before Christmas. There's a lot of places in the state that are on fire right now or about to be on fire in the next two to three weeks. That's right. Yeah, it's, it's coming down to the boiling point right now. And so, um, you know, I'm trying to find time to take off work and hunt and find places in new public land to hunt on the weekends, which is always kind of tough because I didn't get to scout much before the season. So I feel like I'm really behind. I, although I did kill my second doe for the season uh, last Saturday. 
And then I've killed right. I've killed a couple of pigs so far this year, but um, as far as deer, my my deer sightings have been been pretty low. Anyway, uh, the other thing I want to talk to you about is a mid season update. Essentially, have you been hunting much? Um, <laughs> yeah, but I don't have. A, I, I haven't. I've, I've taken one shot with a bow on a deer, and I've seen uh, two bucks the whole season. One of them was a. a he wasn't a legal shooter in Mississippi. He come in from behind me. And uh I didn't I, I don't think I could have shot him if I wanted to. Yeah. And and uh and then the other one, I'd made a five hour hunt and I got out at, at uh noon and bag, bagged all my stuff up and picked it up and turned around and I made eye contact with a buck standing there looking at me about sixty yards. Yeah. And then he when we made eye contact he blew out. But but uh, other than that, <laughs> man, I, I you know and I hadn't hunted as much as I'd normally hunt. I'm I'm really winding down, getting a little less every year. A little less every year and i don't have the places to hunt i used to hunt so mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't i don't have a lot to talk about what current you're talking about current stuff you know most of my stuff is hunting style and and the good old days and stuff like that you know yeah, yeah absolutely my, I, I anything like i'm not even close to having the hunt success in the last 10 years that I had, you know, in my prime years and everything, it's just, it's, it's well, just totally. Well, that's, you know, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you about this topic is, you know, first off, I've been wanting to do another episode with you. I don't think I, uh, up until today, I may not have conveyed that with you, but it's, it's always been on my, on my mind. And one of the reasons is your episode, episode three is our most popular episode that we've ever put out. And it's, you know, it continues to be every week. It, it stays in first place and stays in first place. And, uh, I think the well, second people continue to listen to it, even though they got all the other ones. Or oh yeah. That's the, that's the crazy, that's the craziest thing about podcasts is that they're not serialized, meaning, yeah. you know, it's not like a, it's not like a sitcom where they're all connected and you, if you don't catch the first one, you don't know the storyline by the sixth one, you know, um, right. the relationship between podcasts and people listening to them is podcast is still a relatively newly accepted form of media. And, and there's a lot of people, I would say the majority of people in the U S don't listen to podcasts, but the people that do listen to podcasts almost exclusively listen to podcasts. Yeah, I don't listen to radio when I'm traveling anymore at all. I just yep. I got my earbuds in and I'm I'm listening to a podcast and so going and coming to hunts and stuff. The the really cool thing about it for me is that I can see where people are downloading uh, the episodes. It doesn't show me exactly where they are, but it says what city they're in, what state they're from, and and by the way, we're we're the number one Louisiana bow hunting podcast in Japan. the number we are the leading podcast about bow hunting in louisiana in japan israel and turkey we have like about 12 downloads between those places and can they can they hear it in in, in their recognized language or no they they get my uh convoluted half southern accent they don't get it uh any other any other way so um (laughs) Anyway, uh, the the other neat thing about the podcast is that people tend to scan their podcast app or Spotify or something. They're they're constantly searching for new information on topics that they like. And you know, for example, last week we did an episode on food plots and uh, baiting and supplemental feeding. The week before that, we did one on swamp hunting. And so, yeah, I really enjoyed the one with Greg. I've, I've got a lot of personal time with him hunting hogs and yeah. stuff and these shoots and I, 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 at one time I considered him my, you know, 
my son from another mother or something <laughs> other like that. You know, it was just real. We were real close. He's an awesome guy. Yeah. He it, is, man. He did a great job. I was really proud of it. It was, you know, what was funny. I talked a little bit about this on the beginning of that episode. I wish that I was recording at this point in time, but when I called him, <laughs> when I called him, um, he was like, hold on, let me go in the other room. You could tell, like, I think he was in the room with his wife and the TV was on. He's like, let me go somewhere where it's quiet, you know, and I'll talk to you. Um, uh, and his wife, uh, his, you could hear his wife in the background go, why do they want to talk to you? You're nobody, <laughs> you know, like, like, what do you have to say that they want to hear? You know, it was, it was hilarious. Um, he, he could say a lot to, that a lot of people want to hear. I know that for sure. Yeah. That, that song is very talented. That was a, that was a, a really good episode. I enjoyed that. Um, but you know, back to my point about the podcast, what happens, the reason why, one of the reasons why your episode is, is so popular is and obviously because of you, who you are, how long you've been hunting, but what happens with the, uh, behavior of our listeners is they generally latch on to a, a, an episode that catches their attention. Okay. Maybe they don't find our podcast until episode 22. Maybe this is the Maybe this is the episode that we get a first-time listener in. And so what happens is they, they, they come across Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast, and let's say they live in Ohio or Tennessee. They find a subject that they like, they listen to it, and if they like that episode, then they're like, well, let me look for some other ones I like. And if they listen to another one that they like, then typically what happens is then they go and they start from the very beginning. Okay, and, right. then, and then they start listening in order. But you don't catch people at the beginning because the first episode is – 22 weeks ago now you know and if they weren't listening 22 weeks ago then they probably haven't been listening to every episode since well i've listened to every episode except your last one i hadn't got around it yet but i've, I've listened i enjoyed all of them you know thank you i appreciate it. it it's been it's been fun and it's one of those things where i you know highly debated whether or not we should do a podcast what changed is that facebook started massively limiting our audience they started massively limiting our posts and our reach and who could see what we are posting and what videos we were posting and um, the podcast is uh, an, an effort to get off the teat of social media and to have something that I was technically in control of in a different form that I didn't have to rely on an algorithm for a certain number of interests and a certain number of listeners. Anyway, but well, let's, let's get started. Yeah. Well, I got, you know, you used to ask me about my season. I got all the stats right here. You know, I might find it boring, but you know, the stats explain my uh, woes more than anything else, I guess. That's but, okay. Uh, you want to know some of the neatest feedback that I've gotten from people. And, and I got this, from three different people that don't know each other on Greg Gravel's episode. You know, Greg was kind of uh, critical of himself towards the end. He goes, man, I wish I had more information to give you, but, you know, I'm still trying to figure out this swamp hunting thing. He said, if you if you wrote down ten places on earth to bow hunt, I don't care what the other nine are, I'm putting swamp hunting dead last. I don't care, yeah. where, you know. And the the feedback that I got from that episode I did have a lot of people that thought the peppergrass thing was funny. I did have a lot of people that thought that the episode was great. But some of the most genuine feedback that I got was, I struggle with the same thing. And honestly, it feels good to know that I'm not alone in the struggle. That, uh, you know, it feels there's a comfort in knowing that somebody 
that's been hunting for 20 years plus in the swamp still doesn't have all the answers. And yeah. be, and because of that, I'm not going to be as hard on myself, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I, I thought that was really great feedback because, you know, it's, it's one thing to have somebody send you a message and say, Hey, like this week's episode, keep up the good work. But when people are specific and they're, and they like, f- they, they feel compelled to write, you could say a, a thought out message of exactly how that episode made them feel good or bad. I love that stuff. Yeah. Um, that's when you're starting to really connect with people and, and that's what it's all about. So, right. um, yeah, I, I enjoy, I enjoy, uh, having everybody on and, and all the episodes, everyone's unique in their own way. You had such a good variety too. You covered a lot of different subjects and, and, you know, most of it, all pertain to Louisiana too. Try, yeah, try to try to keep it keep it relevant and unique, you know. Well, let's uh let's get started on on this week's episode, Warren. Um, so here it is. This is the week before Christmas. In fact, this episode will air December twenty fourth, Christmas Eve, um, okay. on Monday. And you know, like we discussed a few minutes ago, this is the hot and heavy rut period for a lot of the state. Um, you know, area six is starting to get some decent activity, North Louisiana. Um, you know, the Tinsaw parish and Northeast Louisiana is really starting to, to see a lot of daytime movement of bucks and things like that. And so, you know, on this week's episode, I, and I think a lot of our listeners are really interested in hearing some of the techniques and some of the behavior you witnessed from rutting deer over your hunting career. You know, um, so, you know, like you said a, a few minutes ago, you are a, a, you are a tactics guy. You are about the, um, the system and, and, uh, you know, pick this tree, hunt this trail, you know, th- that type of stuff. And so, you know, let's, let's have a, a good discussion on what, you know, how can we arm our listeners with the best information for the next three weeks when they're putting in butt time in the stand, you know? Right. I think that's a major factor is putting time in the stand, you know. Uh, these these books, they're not like the books in the Midwest where they're real active in the daylight, moving around, chasing and all that. I, I think a good percentage of the rut in, in Louisiana, especially down in the south, southern part of Louisiana, takes place during the the safety of the nighttime for them. You yeah. know? Just because they're a rut, they don't throw all caution to the wind. They're still careful and, and uh, you know, they don't get stupid just because uh, they fall in a, a, a hot dough. I mean, they're not as cautious as they normally are, and they do move more. But still, they, you're not going to see one ever, ever half hour you're on stand. You know, it's just this just don't work like that. Yeah. But my, my particular reason for hunting a rut is I hunt pretty much – the same way during the rut as I do when it's not the rut. With the exception, I try to spend more time in the woods, and I make sure I hunt the entire morning. I've killed more bucks and, you know, better bucks during the uh, late, mid to late uh, mornings, you know, during the late part of the season any other time. I, I don't know what it is. They, 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 they're traveling more that during that time and everything, but when I get on the stand during the rut, I try to get there right at daylight or a little bit before daylight, and I'll stay up there until 1 o'clock at okay. least. And then I might get down and relocate to another tree. But I think the most important thing is to spend as much time in the woods as you can during that short period of time. 
and we're not talking about a long time. We're talking about a couple of weeks, and then it's it's over with. It's dead, you know, pretty much. Yeah. But you know, I, and you, and you want to be uh, aware of where the does are spending most of their time at too, because that's that's where the bucks going to be looking for them. They know their habits, where they go in, and where they where they've come from and whatever, and, and they're going to be looking for those does. So if, if you you got a place that's drawing does, you know, it's a good way to, good place to hang out. I hunted a lot of creek crossings where the, where the uh, does cross and everything, and that, that old buck, he'll, he'll parallel that creek in the woods probably 30, 40 yards maybe, and he's scent, scent checking for does that's cross that creek to get on a trail to go on. And what I'll do like that if I got straight away on a creek somewhere, between curves i'll set up and put my back to the creek uh, on the edge of the creek and so i can glance to my left and my right and see if anything crossing plus i'm watching those woods for that book it's parallel in that creek looking for the looking for those that have crossed by scent uh, means you know yeah and just 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 hunt real hard you know they still got acorns nut alls in some places and the does going to be at those nut all oaks getting acorns and Buck's going to be looking for them. It's just mainly put your time in. So you're focusing mainly on travel routes then, right? Um, That's right. Run, so. know, uh, flow areas, trails, general areas, just, you know, you want to get where you can see as much as you can. I know the, a lot of it goes on thickest, but you can hunt transition lines between kind of hard, open hardwoods and privet hedge thickets, yeah. stuff like that. But you want to be able to cover as much ground as you can. And, uh, of course, you know, I'm, I'm speaking of, gun hunting too as well as bow hunting but and then if you can have observatory stands watching you can move in you know to better yourself with your bow hunting chances yeah now now when you're seeing buck movement during the rut um like let's see let's say you're in an observation stand and you see a buck that's crossing through pretty clear open woods um during the day obviously do you think that he'll repeat that over and over? Or is that like uh, maybe a one-time pass through of that area, and he's just kind of roaming all over? Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, I was hunting one particular place during the uh, during the right at the first part of the rut, I guess you'd say it was just getting started, and uh, I saw a deer three different days, and I killed him on the fourth day, and I kept moving. He's chasing the doe. The first day I saw him. He was he was out of range. I was bow hunting. He was about forty five yards, and he chased his doe through. So my next hunt the next day, I moved over where I saw him, and I I, I moved four times like that. And the fourth time, uh, I called a doe. She was throwing a call to her with a bleat, and she she veered my way, and he was following her. Hmm. And then the buck stopped, and she come by me, and she cut went back, and he cut a cut the the angle off of the bearing. In other words, he went straight shot to her instead of following her tracks into me and then going back out. And I think I shot him at about 25 or 30 yards, something like that. Nice. And that was the fourth day in a row I'd seen him in that same general area. He was just getting, like, further to the south each time. I had to keep moving to the south to, to catch up with him. Now, when you're, when you're technically, you know, hunting does and they're walking bait, um, That's right. You know, you've got to be pretty cognizant of, of course, not getting busted by them. I know that sounds really obvious, but, you know, the reason I'm saying this is I, I killed the doe on Saturday on public land, and um, it was the damnedest thing, man. It's it just I've said this a few times on the podcast, and I've probably said this a hundred times just about deer hunting in general, but it's like that damn thing 
took a portal in front of me. It just, all of a sudden, 24 yards in front of me was a doe. Just blam, right there. And let me tell you, I was not in an area where you could sneak up on me. I was hunting the downwind side of uh, a pine thicket, and I was in dropping oak trees on some hillsides, but it was wide open and no underbrush at all. And so it was a transition area like you were talking about. And I was about, you know, I don't know, maybe about uh, 30 yards from that thicket edge. And that thicket edge was on top of a ridge. And I was starting to go on the downslope of the ridge. But I wasn't so far down the ridge where I'd be too low for a deer to see me when I climbed up in my tree. If they were on top of that ridge. Right. Uh, if you've been listening to Harmon Carson talk about his success uh, with his rattle bag and light rattling, um I did a couple of grunts, and I'd, I'd wait 15 minutes and see if something come out. I didn't see anything. I grunted twice, and um, or grunted two different times, and then I started doing some light rattling. And when I say light rattling, I don't mean, you know, so light you can't hear it. What I really mean is I'm not slamming them together like like they do on television in the Midwest. You know, our deer just aren't that aggressive, but they are curious. And if you make it sound believable, then they'll come to it. And so I did some light rattling and then I grunted one more time and, um, I was kind of in a, uh, I wasn't kind of, I was in a bare oak tree. All right. Maybe about 18 inches around. And, um, when I'm on a bare tree and I don't have any cover around me, I, I like to stand up in the stand. I don't like to sit down. I like to be as close to that tree as possible. I'll stand up and I'll lean against it, trying to break up my, my outline a little bit. And I'm looking behind me. I'm looking behind me. And by the way, I set up in the dark on an area that I I, I scouted before. I didn't have any trees marked. And I set up in the dark, which I, I hate doing. And this, in fact, this is the first time I've ever killed a deer setting up in the dark at daylight killing a deer pretty much. And I got blown out by three deer when I set up. They were all downwind of me down that ridge. And I was like, man, I, <laughs> there's no way I'm going to kill anything today, right? And... uh this deer morphs in front of me after I start doing some light rattling. And, and the thing that was really crazy to me was, um, it wasn't, I went to go rattle again. And I, 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 you know, when I'm doing light rattling, I'm not like slamming my hands together. I'm really just kind of, you know, grabbing the bag a little bit, yeah. you know, just like grabbing it like a quick, kind of like, uh, if you try and clap one handed, Right. Right. <laughs> you know, imagine if you, you tried to make a clap sound one handed, kind of doing it like that. And turn um, the volume down. Yeah, turn the volume down a little bit and it's not too aggressive, but it's still realistic. And um and I did it one time, it went clank, and I looked to my eleven o'clock and there's a doe looks right at me. And I'm like, <laughs> Where did you come from? I have been looking that way for twenty minutes. And I, I, where did you, did you climb out of the tree? Do you have a, a tunnel, you know? And, uh, and so she looks at me and she's, I don't want to say she's a mature doe, but she's certainly big enough to shoot. And, um, so she stands there, she looks at me, she does that head bob thing, like up and down and kind of to the side. And, uh, and I was like, oh, it's, it's game over. And then it's like two minutes she's looking at me and I'm still as still could be. And she's upwind. She d- can't smell me. She sees something, uh, and I just don't move. 
I sit there and we have a stare down for a little bit. And I have, by the way, I, I'd grab my bow and I'd slowly risen in the front of my face and <clears throat> had my bow in between me and her. And I clipped in and I, I remember saying out loud to myself, I was like, look to your right for half a second and you're dead. You know, if you look mm-hmm. to your right for half a second, you're dead. And so she starts, she keep, keeps head bobbing and she, um, you know, when they're, they're not quite scared enough to run off, but they're, they don't know what you are. They do that light stomp, you know, yeah. it's, it, she's not, she's not alerting what's around her, but it's almost like a, a reflex, you know, a defense mechanism. Yeah. And she's doing a light stomp. And I say again, I was like, look to your right for half a second and you're dead. And, um, right about that time I hear behind her. And I was like, are you, is there, there's, there's a buck behind her. I can hear him grunting. Another 10 seconds goes by. I hear him go like that. And I was like, (laughs) I said, this doe is about to ruin this whole party for me. (laughs) You know, I got a, I got a buck that's trailing you and you have your eyes on me. I, you know, this is a tough situation. And, um, so she, after he grunts again, she takes a step backwards and turns broadside, but still looking at me. And then she turns to look back where he was and I draw. Well, she did that thing and I should have seen this coming because it's happened to me a hundred times. You know, when they look away for a split second and then they throw their head back at you real quick to try and catch you moving. She did that. Yeah. And I was, I was coming to full draw and I had my pen on her, but I didn't have my uh, peep sight lined up yet. Because I, I don't know if I told you or not, I'm hunting with my compound again this year. Uh, I can tell, Miss Store. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, Warren. <laughs> hey, no, hey it's, it's no problem. Nothing to be ashamed of that. I, I hunted a lot with a compound bow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I decided I'd like to kill something this year, and uh, and so I picked it up. But right before I got my peep sight set like unconsciously I hit the trigger and I shot low and I scraped her brisket. And when I scraped her brisket, she ran 20 yards. So now she's about 35 yards away. And now this buck, I can, I can hear him really well. He's coming and she's standing there at 35 yards looking dead at me. I load another arrow and she's stomping hard, but she's still not blowing, which I can't believe that she's not blowing yet. And so she turns broadside to like tuck and run. And when she does, I shoot, but it's the only time I've ever had a deer that dropped its head and turned towards me to run away. And before my arrow got there, and I shoot a very fast bow at 324 feet per second, I shot her and she dropped in her tracks. And I I didn't understand what happened at first. I thought maybe I spined her and I was like, no, I shot I, I know that was a good shot. And when I walked up to her, her head had moved in front of the arrow. I don't, I don't take headshots. I don't mess with that stuff. <laughs> and it had gone in the top of her, like behind her to- her right eye, and come in the base of the back of her skull, come out the base. She must of have looked back or something just when when the arrow got. It there, was huh? it was crazy because let me it wasn't a fumbled shot like the first one was. Um, right. it, it was it was on the mark, but she that's how fast they react. She was able to get her head, unfortunately for her, right in the path of the arrow. Um, and, uh, I could, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. So she dropped in her, in her, in her, uh, tracks right there. So I now have one Luminoc arrow about 20 yards in front of me. Another one that is, uh, you know, laying on top of a deer 35 yards out in front of me. And then I, I couldn't have written this any differently. 30 seconds later, 
really nice eight point walks out finally. And I guess, I guess the commotion from her trying to kick off and then dropping in her tracks and that thump kind of enticed him out. Um, and so he came out to 55 yards and then came into 50 and then got to 48, but he was circling around her. He saw her laying there, unfortunately, and saw that Luminoc. <clears throat> and he How close of, was he to her? He was about uh, – so so he was at 50 and she was at 35, so 15, okay, 20 yards. In the same direction, basically. He, yep, yep. So it was me, Doe, him in a line, right? So okay, the, I got you. The Doe yep. was directly in between me and him. And when he saw that, he started skirting to my left, going from my right to my left. Yeah. And uh, – and he got to about forty-eight yards, and you know, I put the I put the the um, uh, the pin on him, and I couldn't stop him, so I didn't get him. But he's still out there. I'm gonna try and uh, try and go get him again. But it's you know that was a tough situation because soon after I saw that doe, I knew the buck was coming, and I knew he was coming for her. Problem was right. she had already seen me. You know, um, she had already pinned me down, and we were in a standoff. You know, um, and so I honestly, I'm lucky that I even got out of that situation with her. Um, and I don't really think I blew anything with that buck. He ended up kind of trotting off, but he never blew or ran. You know, he yeah. just he was like, this isn't right. Let me get out of here. So, um, right. you know, that was it. That was an interesting situation to be in with that doe. But um, I normally would not shoot a doe during the rut, but she. <laughs> <laughs> she yeah. was about to be uh, a very unwelcome tattletale, uh, right. and, and uh, you know I, I got the the um, the the good end of the stick on that one, and she got the bad end. But um, yeah. anyway, so well, your story brought two thoughts to me, or maybe remember two different instances. And one thing is about your doe, the way she was acting, that thing. I've noticed through the years that deer like to confirm. One sense they they realize about you with another one. In other words, if yeah. they see you and you got camouflage on, and you're not moving, and you're not uh, upwind of them, well, they they curious, especially if you stand still. They know you're there, but they they hadn't figured it out. Well, they want to confirm with seeing, with sight, with sound or scent. Yeah, that's a great and then, point. And then the opposite also, if they hear you, and it gets their attention. They want to see you if you're not moving anything. They want to confirm it mm-hmm. with another way. But if they sent you, they don't need confirmation. They're not worried about seeing you or hearing you. They got they found out what they wanted to know. And then on the other thing is, with the buck was looking at the doe laying on the ground. Years and years ago, back in the seventies, I shot a I shot a buck with a rifle about about eighty a hundred yards, and he dropped in his tracks, and I just stayed up in the tree. And, and within the next half hour, they had, I think it was 15 deer come by, and it was just like paying respects at a coffin at a, at a wake or something. Wow. People lined up. They were lined up, and one after another, in single file, they walked up to that deer and stopped, put their head down, looked at it, and picked their head up and walked off. It was the craziest thing I ever seen. That's wild. They was checking it out, like paying their last respects or something. Other. Yeah. But, uh, your story just made me think of those two things I wanted to share with you. That's wild. I've never heard of anything like that. Now, I I did, oh, man, four or five years ago, um, I shot a doe on uh, one, it was a weeknight, 
Um, I shot a doe right before dark on a weeknight, and she ran about 150 yards through a field and crashed. And and you know, I drug her out and took her home and cleaned her. And then um, the same the next evening, I had the same wind. It was a good wind for that same stand, and I had a really nice eight point um, walk up, and it was like, I mean, it was like he it was like she had walked through five minutes before. He was that exact on her trail all the way up to the point where I shot her and then followed her exact trail. I think it, I mean, it, I know she had a blood trail still there from when I killed her the day before. And, um, he followed that all the way to the point of where I recovered her from. And once he got there, he stayed there for like 10 minutes and then he meandered off. I don't know if he was smelling her blood trail. I don't know if it was his, it was her scent from running. I'm sure that was probably it. But it was an identical path, um, and the funny thing was that I missed that deer twice. Uh, I mean, it was still pretty fresh with bow hunting, <laughs> and I was really shaken up. Uh, I missed him twice, and I only had three arrows, and one was a field point. If you remember on Greg Gravel's episode, he's like, "I'll never have a, uh, an arrow that doesn't have a broadhead on it." That was the night. in his pocket. That was the night that I learned that lesson, you know, and. Um, and so, anyway, uh, that ended up, you know, this is a funny tie to the story that I told in the first episode that you did with us. That ended up being the same deer that I shot at 64 yards. So, I missed that deer three times on two occasions, like three months apart, and finally killed it on the fourth shot. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> so, um, but, yeah, it's 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 interesting how in tune these deer are to their environment scent. I, I, I still think, I still think scent is their number one defense. Um, I would say, uh, hearing is their next and then eyesight's probably their third, you know, um, as far as like sensory that that's able to, you know, keep them safe and alive. I would, I would rank it in that order. What about you? Definitely. their sense number one, uh, hearing's probably number two and sight's three, but, like I say, if they if they hear you, they want to confirm it with one of the two, either smell you or they want to see you. And if they see you, they want to confirm it with hearing you or smell you. But if they smell you, they don't need no confirmation. Yeah, they're they gone. Go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, so you, you say you, you hunt a lot of travel areas. You hunt a lot of uh, creek crossings and things like that. Um, you know, what uh, – you the other thing that I thought was unique that – that you said that some people might be surprised by is that, you know, deer don't, bucks don't necessarily lose all common sense during the rut. Um, no, they don't. They're still, oh, <laughs> yeah, they're still very cognizant of their surroundings of threats and things like that. They might take uh, a few chances. Uh, Make a the, few mistakes, but, yeah. but they still look at after number one, you know, they distracted a little bit by that doe, but uh, other than that, you know, they still worried about their well-being. You can't. And so the reason I bring that up is you can't just go lax on your scent control or, uh, your stand location compared to the wind that day. Um, you know, they're not going to be quite as on alert or high alert as they would be, you know, just regular season when, when they're kind of ghosts of the night. But yeah, your main advantage is uh, when they set time of the year, they're just more active in the daylight. Yeah. That's the advantage right there. Yeah. So everything Other else that, is and, held You constant. know, I hunt pretty much the same way. I, I, 
you know, I'm known to hunt oak trees and everything, but believe me, uh, I've killed a lot more deer out of general areas than I have any other way. I, I, I mean, I, I got it all wrote down. I know exactly how many deer I kill on oak trees, what kind of oak trees, all that. I, I know exactly what it is. And I don't think I've killed anywhere close with anything except hunting a general area. And what really? I do, I try to scout as much as I can, be alert to anything outstanding, and take advantage of anything outstanding. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm real mobile. I can. I, it don't take me long to change. I, I hunt one tree for an hour. If this don't seem right, I'll get out and find another one. You know, I might climb two or three times, especially when I was younger. Yeah. Uh, and, and but I, I want to take advantage of the best opportunity that I can find through scouting. Yeah. Whether it's whether it's during the rut or during regular season, early season, mid season, or late season. Just take advantage of what what you think is your best opportunity, and let let the opportunity and advantage that you find make you hunt instead of you making yourself. Yeah, and I, you know I would say that um, especially during the rut and in in peak daylight activity times of the year, like like we're coming up on, it really is about how much time you're in the woods. Uh, Absolutely, it's yeah. you know it's right the, place, right time. Don't make a mistake. <laughs> yeah it's you know it's it's kind of the law of large numbers um or... i tell you what i did about three years ago I, I was on in an oak flat sitting out about 30 yards from a privet hedge thicket that that ran the oak flat was on one side it had a creek on the other side a ditch like creek on the other side and those deer were funneling through on that edge and uh i i had i had some does come busting out one end. I'm looking 150 yards down this line. I was gun hunting. I know this is a bow hunting program, but you know it, this is just what happened, mm-hmm. and and it can happen. But just to show you, you got to take your first shot when you can. You can't wait. And all out busted this real nice buck. He's probably 18, 19 inches wide, and had a, two more bucks behind him, and it was after this doe, and he he stopped at about uh, probably a 90 yards. I had a I had a 308 had a real good scope, everything zeroed in, had the hammer cocked back, and I put the crosshairs on him, and he was about, like I say, 100 yards, give or take 10 or 15. And I said, I'm going to wait till he gets closer. I watched where the doe went. The doe passed 35 yards from me, mm-hmm. and he was out there hunting. I said, I'm going to shoot him at 30 yards instead of 100 yards, make sure. I'm a bow hunter at heart, and, and, and uh, anything over 50 yards seems like a long ways. I don't care what I'm shooting. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, anyway, he broke, started running, and he followed exactly where the doe was. He stopped three times, and each time they had a shoulder, bo- uh, a tree blocking his shoulder and his vital areas. Mm. I never did get to shoot at him. Never saw him again. The other two bucks come back, circle back, and a half hour later, and I didn't want to shoot them after seeing him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Don't want to ruin you gotta, that one. I don't care what the situation is. The first very possible chance you got to end it. You got to end it. You can't wait for something better. You got to. If it's any opportunity at all, any chance at all, you can you can put him down. You got to do it then. The yeah. longer you wait, the more stuff can happen. Absolutely. Well, you said you have you've got some stats on, um, uh, you know, where you've killed deer and, and you know over what areas and stuff. Do you have those available now? Yeah, I do. Let's go over that. I think we'd be interested. We we always love about hearing your stats. This season, just for this season, these my season stats this year. Sure. Let, yeah. Let's talk about. Let's talk a little bit of uh, uh, midseason update a little bit and what you've been seeing. I'm almost embarrassed to talk about. It. You know, everybody's <laughs> got to understand that uh, I'm I'm be turning 75 in February, so I don't have the mobility I used to have. I, I can't hard, hunt as hard as I could, and uh, I'm not near about the hunter I was at one time. But 
I've slowed down a lot this year for different reasons, weather, uh, personal commitments, family commitments, and mm-hmm. this, that, and other. But total this year, I've hunted 22 days, which consisted of 19 morning hunts and seven evening hunts. That's 26 total hunts. And I got 87 and a half hours on stand. And I, I made 14 bow hunts. I had only I had six deer sightings, and I had 38 hours on stand. And I got only got one bow shot, and I missed her. It was a, it was a doe, and she kind of squatted under my air at 11 yards. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I made my the last bow hunt I made was my 2,106 bow hunt. 2,106. What'd you say? I'm sorry. You, you said your 2,106 bow hunt. Yeah, the last bow hunt I made this season was my 2,106 bow hunt. Wow, that's like, incredible. Now, now, I don't believe many people can tell you how many bow hunts they made. No, <laughs> no, but, uh, certainly but that's, not. But that's it. That's what it is. But anyway, uh, I've made only made one primitive hunt. I saw six deer on that, and I was on the stand for four hours. And then I made 11 gun hunts and had only seven deer sightings. And I passed on two deer I could have killed. I didn't want to kill. It wasn't what I was wanting. And I got 40 five hours on stand and uh, no gunshots at all i made 12 bow hunts i didn't see a deer i, I, I made seven gun hunts i didn't see a deer mm-hmm. and that's 19 hunts i made out of the uh how many was it it was 26 that i didn't see a deer and then uh i saw six deer in october from the stand and one while it's on the ground november i saw 10 deer from the stand and one on the ground and and this month of december i've seen two with one on the ground so that's a total of 21 deer, you know, total with seeing from the stand and on the ground. On the ground, I was walking, traveling, basically. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. I've hunted one, two, three, four, five different areas. Uh, I hunt with a woodpecker drill, and I've, I've drilled 16 different trees, wow. which is usually about 23 or 24 every year. So that's slowing down. I've made 12 hunts with my, my saddle and my predator platform. I made 10 hunts with my lock-on and rock-climbing harness. Yeah. And I made two hunts with the combination of the saddle and the lock-on. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I made uh, two hunts out of a ladder stand. Very cool. That adds up to the 26 hunts. And uh made 11 hunts in October, 8 in November, and 7 in December. And then I got my daily hunts and my times and all that and where I was at. So. That gives a little idea of some of the stats I keep on my hunt. Yeah, that's I've been incredible. Doing that for fifty years, so I got it all wrote down. My favorite, <laughs> my favorite part about seeing your <laughs> seeing your stats uh, when we came to your house was that um, you have a whole page that's written on the back of an original David Duke campaign sign. <laughs> <laughs> not yeah, that's like, right. legitimate david duke campaign sign and then on the back of it is you know uh, 50 hunts or something like that it's it was, well, it's more than that. It was four months of hunt. four months yeah i think that yeah. was the that probably the most I would, authentic I would get a part post paper and i'd square it off make four equal squares to be october november december january and then i would draw the months in there from day first of the day of the month to the last day of the month yeah, and it's a big calendar-like blocks, and I wrote everything in there. I wrote what, how many hunts I made, what times I made hunts, what I saw, how many deer I saw, what time. Uh, it just, you know, it just well, you saw it. It was just all the details on there. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, th- I think it's awesome, and it's. I mean, it's impressive. David Duke, I don't know. I guess I didn't have a chance to to pick up some poster paper, and <laughs> yeah. I don't know where that sign come from. But anyway, it, it worked out good for what I used it for. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, one of the questions I had for you was was if you 
still favor your saddle as much as you did last time we talked. I do. I sat in it, uh, let's see, what's today? Uh, Wednesday, I sat in it uh, five hours yesterday morning. I yeah. sure did. That's yeah, great. I, I sat from uh, 6.30 to 11.30 on staying with it. It was just as comfortable as I could be. Nice. I look platform. Make, I started off with a ring of steps. Had those mare steps on a strap. Yep. And I, I really didn't like those. I, I, I didn't feel comfortable sitting on them, you know, with my feet on them and everything. And, and it, it was more difficult to move around the tree for different shots. But that little predator platform that Tethered uh, Nation puts out, it don't weigh but 2.7 pounds. And uh, it's like the bottom on a little lock on stand. And, man, I could shoot all the way around the tree. I had I, I, that deer I passed on yesterday. It, it came in. It was real foggy yesterday morning. And, uh, I had my rifle hanging on a hook right there by me, and the scope was open. And I guess all that fog and everything settled down on, on the top lens of my scope or the front lens of my scope. And, and I was sitting up there. I got in a tree, 630, little four 630, and about 10 minutes after 7, I seen move it out in that privet. I just saw one little movement in the, down that privet edge. And I said, man, that's, what is that? And I got to looking, and it moved again. I said, that's a deer. And not knowing what it was, I just knew it was a deer. I, I got my rifle up and got got in the scope and i couldn't see a thing man it was all wet and mm-hmm. blurred and all that i said oh no i kind of panicked a little bit because you know you don't get a big window of opportunity on these things you know no. it could have blew out there in a second been a been a trophy buck or something i didn't know so i had my gloves on and started trying to clean the, the scope and panicking and finally got it clean enough where i could tell it, it wasn't anything i wanted to shoot the little nubbing buck and uh and I was a little more relaxed then, but uh, I did get my scope cleared up the rest of the day and had a had a real nice morning sitting up there, but didn't see anything else. So <laughs> when when you're rifle hunting, do you do you get the same excitement as you do when you're bow hunting and you see a Absolutely. deer? Absolutely, I can't tell the difference. You know, I, I used to be almost a hundred percent bow hunting. You can tell how many deer I've killed with a bow and how oh, many yeah. I've killed with. It's real lopsided. But as I got older and I started seeing less deer. And the, my, I wasn't hunting the places I used to hunt and everything. It got more difficult. And I gradually went from primarily being a bow hunter and gun hunting very little to being a, a, a season hunter. In other words, during the bow season now, I just bow hunt. When they have a gun season, I, I rifle hunt. When they have a primitive season, I'll uh, use a... I used a muzzle loader up two years ago, and I got a thirty-five wheeling now. Mm-hmm. I got a Encore, and I got a thirty-five wheeling barrel for it. But I, I really didn't like it muzzle loader at all. It was just the way to hunt. And but in the old days, during the primitive weapon season, I hunted Mississippi a lot. And from December the second to fifteenth was always a primitive weapon season, and and I always used a bow. I never, I never used a muzzle loader or anything. Just all bow hunting. Yeah. It kills a lot of deer and good deer during that time of the year, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was just curious because, like, like for me, a deer's proximity probably has more of an effect on my reaction to seeing it than, you know, what, what weapon I'm hunting with and, uh, and, and how far I can reach out and touch them, you know, and like in our, in our very first episode, I talked about how for me, I didn't clarify that I liked bow hunting so much at the beginning. It was more of discovering the fact that gun hunting wasn't for me, you know? Uh, and, and so it was, you know, I didn't fall in love with archery and, and continue down this path. It was, I wanted a deer hunt 
And I knew that the rifle side of things wasn't going to be a way that I was going to enjoy doing it. And then, you know, through, you know, learning archery and, and, you know, I think we've all been, I think we've all been through, um, the stage of being in a honeymoon period with our bow and being pleasantly surprised as to how precise we can be with the piece of archery equipment, um, and stacking arrows and shaving fletchings off and, um, and Robin hooding. And, you know, that's cool the first time you do it. And after that, it's just a nuisance, you know, and, you know, it just becomes expensive. It's no longer cool. It's like, damn it. You know, um, there's $30 or $20, whatever your arrow costs. Like I said, in the first episode, I, I clarified that rifle hunting wasn't for me, but I wanted to do this. I didn't get hooked on bow hunting until I had my first close encounter with a deer. And, and I, I, I remember vividly the extreme level of um, self-consciousness that I had in that moment. Um, I mean, I used to, and I've kind of got it somewhat under control now. I usually do it with like my thigh muscles or my butt or, or something. When, when a deer comes out, I clench up. Um, I get real stiff, almost like, you know, if I, if I wasn't flexing my muscles, I, like they would see me almost, you know? Um, and I was just trying to stay as still as possible. And now I've kind of got that under control and sometimes it, I'll still do it. And I'll realize I've learned to relax about deer being close by and learn that most of the time they're not going to see you, um, unless you do something uh, out of time, meaning like drawing when you shouldn't or moving when you shouldn't or something like that, or trying to stand up when you shouldn't. But, um, you know, when I killed my last deer with a rifle, I kind of said, as well, I'm glad I got meat, but that might be the last deer I ever killed with a rifle, you know? So I was just curious if, uh, if you got, if you had the same reaction with a Pretty gun. Pretty much the hand. same. I, I still get <laughs> excited and I get nervous, get that tightness in my chest and, and, uh, you know, and and it, I think it's fear of failure more than anything else. You know, fear you're not going to be able to do what you set out to do, or something mm-hmm. like that. Or I don't know. I I just get excited to see him. Uh, I got even that little nubbing buck yesterday morning. You know, I got a I got a, a rush from that. Just that thing right there. You know. Yeah. And uh, it 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 passed through real slow and then went over to an oak tree and started feeding and and kind of got downwind from it a little bit and it blew out of there. But uh. It was a rush, you know. It, it, I don't care what I had in my hand. I could oh, yeah. have had a, a spear or a bazooka. It wouldn't make any difference. <laughs> it's the deer that does it to you, you know. I, yeah. I, I won't live long enough and hunt enough where I don't get affected uh, emotionally by one coming in. Well, you know, the other thing is, you know, deer are such formidable opponents. You know, they're such worthy adversaries, and they're so much better at this game than we are, you know. Um, and to be able to outsmart one, on your terms in their bedroom is, is a great accomplishment. And one of the other things that I, I've always kind of uh, disliked about hunting from long distances with a gun or, or, something, you know, even some people think they can kill a deer at a hundred yards of the crossbow and you shouldn't do that. But um, one of the things that uh, I, I did not like about that was the fact that you your scent, uh, your movements, <clears throat> your location, your uh, everything at 100, 150, 200 yards, none of that matters. You know, maybe scent, maybe. Um, oh, yeah. But it doesn't matter as much as if they were 30 yards away. 
you know, and and so I don't know. Uh, I've I, I, I've seen deer spook three hundred yards downwind from in bean fields. Wow! Uh, I, yeah. I, on one particular case, it was preseason. I was hunting a place that had huge bean fields and they had a a point of land like Florida sticking out in the bean fields. And I got out in the point of it just just observe and see what deer I see could see. And they had I think it was a dozen deer come out, and uh, I was watching them. They were walking. They were probably couple of hundred yards maybe 300 yards and and i could see them coming and they were just as calm and uh and carefree as anything and when they got downwind from me it was like a hand grenade went off wow. and run hard as they could and so you know it's no difference in an open field like that in the woods because your scent is just sifting through there yeah interesting okay what happens on your scent you know if you get a steady wind all that scent is going to be like smoke it's going to be going straight away from you say yeah and then the wind shifts a little bit well that whole stream of scent is like smoke it's going to shift and just wash out a whole area hmm. yeah that's a good point so uh, have you ever used any cover sense or any, or any attracting sense or anything over your years you know i was up in indiana working back in uh 98 or 99 i forget which was and, and uh course i always talk bow hunting and, and deer hunting when i was on the road working and with anybody and everybody listen i met a lot of hunters and everything and i this one particular guy on the job he was a bow hunter and he was he was a a, a scent maker he had a special formula he made for this deer urine scent it's supposed to be the best in the world and, and i never used that stuff at all i i, I didn't want anything like that and uh but anyway he taught me and he gave me a couple of bottles and I brought that stuff home, and you know, of course, he hunted in Indiana, and uh, I put that stuff out, and a and a, a, a doe come by there and and smelt it and kind of shied away from it, and then a buck come up and smelt that thing, and I think he's still running, Kyle. <laughs> that just scared him to death. I threw all them balls away. I said, I'm gonna go back to my regular deal. That's hilarious. Yeah. But for scent control, before they had any any commercial stuff, you know the scent killer or anything like that i use baking soda and mm-hmm. and uh, if i was smart i'd still be using it but i started making a homemade scent killer years ago use it but that baking soda is probably the best stuff you can get for body odor yeah what it is uh baking soda kills the bacteria and neutralizes that instantly is created when you sweat in other words your sweat comes out pure you don't have any odor in it at all but instantly bacteria is formed in it and that's what produces the odor well this baking soda it actually kills that bacteria, so mm-hmm. you don't have any odor. And I was doing this years and years back in the early 70s and everything. I figured this out or found out about it. And and what I would do when I'd go on my hunts, I would strip down at my tailgate from my street clothes and have my hunting clothes in a bag, and, and I would take a, a cool whip bowl, a little cool whip bowl, and I'd fill it up about half full of water and pour some baking soda in there and stir it up, make a solution out of it, and get a get a, a washcloth, a hand cloth, and saturate it. And I just GI bath, standing there on a carpet, yeah. and just bathe down with it. And then I take that baking soda and powder myself down with it. Oh wow! And uh, put that powder all over me. And then and then I had my clothes. I always washed them in baking soda too. And I put that on. And I only used one set of clothes for a hunt. I made two hunts in one day. I'd use two sets of clothes. I always had fresh clothes on me and everything. And it, it made a world of difference. And then for a few years later, we tried smoking ourselves. A friend of mine had, had uh, read or heard about a guy up north that run a trap line. And, you know, sin is real important on those trap lines. And yeah. he would he would build smoke a smoke fire where it's mostly smoke more than fire. And he'd saturate his, himself and his clothes with all that wood smoke. 
and uh, and it helped out a lot. So we figured we tried deer hunting, and it was three of us hunting that year. The first year we tried it, and every hunt we made, we would we'd make a little fire. We made fun of it. It was like a like a uh, uh, I can't think of the word. Like something a formal deal that we had to do that, and we'd laugh about it. But we take a build a smoke fire, and we'd take our hats and put on it, and we'd hang ourselves over it, and just saturate that smoke is a real strong thick odor yeah but the deer aren't scared of it it's a natural odor they don't have any danger associated with it and that one season i killed six bucks and three does with a with a recurve bow and my partner two partners they said one killed seven and other kill uh five i believe so that's it's nine and five fourteen so it's about 20 some deer we kill and we never had a deer spook from it huh. we never had one sent us and went off blowing anything like that so but it was just we did it and i did it for a few years and it worked real good i had i would do that and have rubber boots on and i've walked into my stand where i climbed at before through foliage and then within 30 minutes see a buck coming browsing through the foliage i had just walked in never show any sign of uh of recognizing our sin or anything like that, but uh, I'd always wondered if that was stuff come out. I got away from it, you know. I got other stuff, but uh, I got a little, a little sloppy, and, and you know, I wasn't as as detailed about some of the things I used to be fanatical about. I I always I always wondered if smoking your clothes worked. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, you hear people talk about it, and you know, unfortunately, a lot of information in the hunting world is just somebody being extremely adamant about their own opinion of how to do something and then it just catches fire and yeah. uh and, oh, and I know. you know we did this i think it was the uh it was hunting at cat island and and it was uh 70 70 it was 72 or 73 season we did it 72 or 73 or 73 74 it might have been 73 74 season we did that and we did it before ever hunt, and we never had a deer busted, and we killed a devil out of those deer that year. It was a really good year. It was fun, and uh, but it worked. And I, I just got lazy, you know. You, you find good stuff like that, and it works. And I don't know. You just kind of go on to something else. Oh yeah, I hear you. Yeah, you you, and you know, technology comes along. You give it a chance, and you use it, and you you confirm it doesn't work. You go back to your old ways for a little while, but um, yeah, you're smoking your clothes is. You know, unless you're camping every night, it can be kind of a, a a pain to keep that up, huh? Yeah, well, in the mornings, you know, you get up before you go. You got to, you got. We take toilet paper and and light on fire and and rake up leaves around there, and they, they kind of moist being laying on the ground, and it makes a heavy, heavy smoke. And uh, man, just saturate yourself. But those deer, you know, they it's natural to smell smoke, and it. I think deer that when they have a bad experience with it, something. They associate a scent with it, yeah. and when they smell that again, they remember that bad experience they had. Well, if they never had a bad experience with with the wood smoke like that, they wouldn't have any any reason to fear. Now, where they can hide your your scent, I, you know, I've read one time somewhere that they said a deer can smell thirty six different things at the same time and identify them. So yeah, so I don't know if if uh, they'd be able to smell you through that or not, but. All I know is we did it every time, three of us, and we never had a deer bust from being downwind from us or sending us anything like that. Uh, so but, something something that uh, I read this on an online article a few years ago about scent control, 
And it was, um, the topic was, you know, cover sense, do they work or not? Or, you know, like you go to, you go to, um, an outdoor store and they'll have like, you know, raccoon pee in a bottle or, um, you know, pine needle scent or, uh, you know, dirt, (laughs) dirt wafers. You ever seen those? Um, you know, like it's funny, it's, it's, it's funny to me that, people would buy something that smells like dirt when you could just rub dirt on yourself, you know? Uh, and and I don't know if you've ever seen, if you've seen our facetious video on, um, the sticks or not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you so, well, well, you know, we've sold, we've legitimately sold five packs now, which is, (laughs) (laughs) which is way more money than anybody should ever make off of some sticks. That's amazing. I didn't think you'd sell any. But, you know, it's not, you know, it's obviously a joke. It's a joke about, um, just the ridiculousness of some of these hunting products these days, you know? And so obviously the, you know, we, I spent an embarrassing, amount of time making that video with uh with barrett and you know we're, we're real and Locke helped out a ton on the editing and all that stuff and and making it what it is today but um you know it, it's all it proves that in today's day and age the product oftentimes doesn't matter that much it's it's how it's sold to you it's the marketing right and and so you know this was something i I really, I wanted to take it too far. I wanted to make a product. I wanted to physically make a product. I wanted to, um, you know, have packaging for it and have it look official. And, uh, you know, that was just all this long game joke. Right. And the funniest part about it for me is there's some people that get it and they, they, they've kind of kept up with it every post and they think it's funny. There's other people that, some of these comments on the internet are like, why would you just pick up sticks? Why would you pay $20? <laughs> they think yeah, they it. think we're dead serious, which is the <laughs> best part. You know, that's the best part. Cause then the people that know it's a joke, it's a, you know, kind of poke fun at that person. That's the best part. But well, look at all the stuff people sell. It's not, not quite as ridiculous as, as that is, but still ridiculous. And they sell a bunch of it. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you know, you've got, um, some other products out. There's something, um, Oh man, Eric Akers is he he posted it. Uh it was like the the tree thrasher, I think. It's like it's like half it's like half uh claw, half spring with a with a um grocery store bag inside of it and it's supposed to mimic the sound of a deer aggressively rubbing a tree, right? Um, there was another one years ago that I wish was a joke, but it was actually a legitimate product called the acorn cruncher. Um, and that was just two pieces of plastic that you mashed together that made it supposedly sounded like deer eating acorns. Right. Um, that, that's pretty funny, but you know, where I was going with, with, you know, the cover scent thing I brought up a second ago, this article I read, it was a guy that was elk hunting in a previously devastated area from wildfire and it was so fresh after the wildfire that the whole place still smelled like embers and smoke and um his his thought was i don't need to worry about scent control this whole place smells like smoke there's no way they'll smell me well he had a deer a deer he had an elk come out downwind from him and bust him at i don't know 200 250 yards and he was just just blown away by how could that 
elk smell me with all this other smell around. And he came out and he described it. He goes, you know what I've discovered is he goes, I really think that deer and elk and cervids, they smell the way that we see tiny, minute differences in color and in pictures. And like, for example, if you had a white sheet of paper and you take a red pen and you just put a single dot, you know, not, not, just, just touch the tip of the pen to the white piece of paper. That's right. where your eye's going to go is to that red dot because it's different. And the white paper in that comparison to this guy hunting in the, um, the wildfire area, the white paper is the ember and the smoke smell and the red dot was him. And ultimately deer and elk and servants, they become, they become normalized to a smell, even if it's extreme. And what happens is when a new, when a new smell is introduced and what we would think naively, we would think that it gets all mixed in and there's no way he can smell me. The reality is it's almost like layers. Our smell is on top of that normal smell that we think is abundant. Um, and so in your smoking instance of smoking your clothes, that's probably one of the few times I've heard of a true cover scent working only because for two reasons. Number one, it's a non-threatening scent, but number two, it was so strong that it actually did overpower your human scent. And strong. Yeah. I guess that. And since you were smoking yourselves too, I'm sure your hair and your hat and your arms and your legs and your shoes and your boots you were technically covered in it, you know? So it's, it's the only true cover scent, you know, and I say that very literally, you're literally doused in the smell of smoke. Um, and the baking soda helped out a lot too. I remember going, uh, preseason scouting and everything in September, you know how hot it is down here. Oh yeah. And it, I'd be gone for uh, a couple of days or whatever and come back and, and, uh, I'd step in the house and I'd ask my wife to smell me, you know? She said, what do you mean smell? I said, well, smell me, see if you can smell any odor on me. And uh, she smelled and everything, and, and, and uh, she said, I don't smell nothing but smoke, you know? <laughs> yeah, the wife test. That's funny. You, these cover scents, like, you know, if you put these, um, you know, pine scents on you or, you know, coon pee or, you know, even using, even using like VS1 that, um, that, uh, what do they call Evercalm stuff? Yeah. You know, if you put that on you, that doesn't mask the whole scent of, of you as a, as a person that masks a part of your scent, but right. you're, you're still the prevailing smell. Right. Um, right. and, and so I guess the con- conclusion is, is always play the wind. Always. That's the only, that's the only truly effective way of, of scent control is, is making sure that, um, you know, to your best guess, you're hunting downwind from where you think the deer are coming from. Um, and then number two, kind of be cognizant of the fact that anything that you add in addition to the smell of you is probably not going to cover you up enough to fool the deer's nose, you know? Right. And I, you know, I mean that, you know, towards ozonics, I mean that towards, um, you know, urine sense towards, uh, all of that stuff. The only thing, the only thing that I've, I've personally never tested and I've, you know, I've had, um, 
a few friends that swear by it, but we all know people that swear by different things that may or may not work in our experience. Is you ever seen that nose jammer stuff? You ever, uh, I don't know if I have. So it's it's a it's a spray can. I always thought it smells like vanilla and cherries mixed together or something. But anyway, that stuff's supposed to like shut down the sensory olfactories in a deer's nose or something like that, and and make them kind of uh, uh, you know shut down what they can and can't smell. But um, I've never tried it. I you know I'm, I try to speak from experience or what people I respect have told me and. Um, you know, Scott Rowe, who owns Spillway Sportsman, he swears by that stuff. I mean, yeah. almost to the point where like he bathes in it in the off season type of swears by it. And, um, you know, he, he someone he, has a good experience with something, you, you know, you can understand them, you know, standing behind, behind it and, and believing in it and everything. Absolutely. I had, a, I had an experience with the coon pee he was talking about. I, I got a hold of some one season. I said, you know, I'm a, I'm a, Every time I get on stand, I'm going to use this stuff. I'm going to get some Q-tips. And I got some Q-tips, and I dip both ends of the Q-tip, and I'd thump it as far as I could in front of me and on each side of me, and then I'd dip another one and put on the edge of my stand. Mm-hmm. And I did that the whole season. And the year before that, I'd kill seven deer without doing that. And the year I used that, I killed nine. I said, well, you know, this is pretty good. I said, uh, I think it works. Well, the next year, something happened. And uh, no, I, 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 I killed. I'm sorry, I killed nine the, the year before. I didn't use, it. and then the next year using it, I killed twelve. I said, man, that's pretty darn good. <laughs> and it's happened. I didn't use it the, the following year, which I did well, a, a bunch of years without it. And then that one year with it, and I killed twelve. And the next year, I didn't use it at all, and I killed twenty-two. <laughs> so I blew that out. So yeah, it it might have worked, but it wasn't something I really needed. You know what I mean? Yeah, there goes your control sample. Yeah, it. Uh, I think the wind is the best thing. The wind can be your friend. It can be your enemy. You just got to make sure it's your friend. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, um, look, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap it up, Warren? I don't know, but if we don't wrap it up, we're going to talk all night, huh? <laughs> that's that's right, man. Well. Look, I, we I, just go from one thing to the other. It doesn't make yeah, any difference. It's all good. That's all. That's all the podcast is: is people listening to two men ramble about things that hopefully they're interested in. You know. Yeah. Look, I, I think we got some good information, and and hopefully we're able to arm some of our listeners for the next upcoming weeks for the rut. Um, some, you know, we talked a lot about scent control. Covered a lot of topics that we didn't talk about our first. Uh, our first episode and uh you know i think it's i think it's a good one man i appreciate you making the time on such short notice to get on with me and uh you know we'll do some more in the future all right that sounds fine i appreciate your confidence in me and and, uh having me on it's it's a lot of fun i enjoy talking with you i do too warren well i appreciate you doing it and uh you have a good night all right good luck the rest of the season i wish everybody out there a good rut season Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you've got anyone you want to hear on the podcast, send us an email at info at louisianabowhunter.com or give us some feedback on our new Facebook group called Louisiana Bowhunter Community. We'd love to hear some feedback about the episodes, what you like and dislike about it, and also what you'd like to hear us talk about in the future. A huge shout out to our two sponsors of the podcast, Cousin Smokehouse and Steve German's Taxidermy Art. We could not put this on without you, so thank you so much for your support. We'll see you all next week.